Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I am here today with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm good. We're, we're coming down to the end of the regular season in the NBA, and the play in that game is an absolutely idiotic idea if you're in it, and if you're not, it's brilliant. So, you know, life, life is good. It has been hilarious to see all of the hot takes coming in from teams basically as they hit the seventh seed. Like as soon as the Mavericks hit the seventh seed, Luca and Mark Cuban were all over how terrible the play-in was despite Mark Cuban being among the unanimous owner's vote to approve the play-in. And, you know, now LeBron the past couple days, now the Lakers have slid down to the seventh seed. He's in the play-in idea is a terrible idea, despite, you know, the fact that last year he certainly seemed to be all for it when the Lakers were the one seed. It seems to be a bit of a coincidence there. I'm not sure I can figure that one out. Yeah, it's just, it's one, I think it will go down as one of life's unsolved mysteries and just whatever's causing it, I think is, is almost supernatural. The world may never know. The world (laughs) truly may never know. So we are in the stretch run of the NBA season, but the NCAA season has already wrapped up. There are some international leagues that are still playing slash having games, but for the most part, the game part of the prospect evaluation process is over. So we're going to continue our deep dives into the lottery with the sixth through eighth picks on Tyler's Big Board, which of course is available on hashtag basketball.com if you haven't checked that out yet. And we are starting today with pick number six. And the sixth player that you have on your board is Moses Moody out of Arkansas. He is basically projected as a three and D type prospect. His defense looked pretty solid at the college level, and he is an elite catch and shoot player. There are certainly some concerns that I have about the rest of his game, but just his defense and his shooting alone make him a clear lottery pick in my mind and in the top half of the lottery. I think he will probably end up in the top half of my lottery when I finally get around to finalizing my own big board, but clearly someone who's in the top part of the lottery from this draft based on that very translatable skill set. And, and he, he kind of had a, a, a rough... NCAA tournament, which which was unfortunate because during the regular season, he was one of my favorite players to watch um, almost game in and game out for Arkansas. And there were a lot of times where I was tempted to move him even into that top five because of how well-rounded and just translatable his game is going to be to the NBA. And you mentioned three and D and I think that's his kind of baseline of where I expect him to be as an NBA player. I I absolutely love his shot. I know it wasn't falling in the tournament when most people were watching and that will probably hurt him some, but I think that's unfair because I, I love his mechanics. I think he's going to be a really good outside shooter and his defensive versatility is extraordinary. He's not this uber athletic, you know, guy who will, be an absolute menace but he's a really smart defender it's very Mikhail Bridges it's very Devin Vassell-esque type overall well-rounded defense so those two skills on their own I think are easily going to make him you know a, a good starter in the NBA and then what can really take him over the top is what is is just his overall feel for the game um you know, if you go back to our conversation on Cade, this was something I touched on a lot, was just how natural the game comes to them, how mentally they're able to slow it down and not play out of control. And that's something that Moody does a lot. And, you know, it's kind of fitting that him and Cade were high school teammates because you can tell that the game just kind of naturally comes to them. So that really shines through with his ability to get to his spots in the mid range and bait defenders into fouls. So he absolutely needs to improve his ball handling to really diversify and take that next leap with the shot creation, but his ability to make the right read, get to his spot, kind of manipulate the defense, the the defender with a shot fake or, you know, looking them off or something is really impressive for someone his age and at his position. 
So we'll definitely discuss his ball handling more at length later. But the thing that really impressed me with Moody in terms of his upside, you know, you mentioned the floor is sort of that 3 and D type of player. And he's not a great athlete, as you mentioned, but he definitely is more than athletic enough to sort of meet the baseline where his skill level will play at the next level. The thing that really intrigued me about Moody is if you look at his film from the start of the season, it's pretty much only catch and shoots. Very rarely does he get an opportunity in the early part of the season to have the ball in his hands, create looks for himself. And, you know, that's sort of where the ball handling comes into play is just how good can he be at that at the next level. But sort of down the stretch of the season, he was doing a lot more in terms of, you know, shooting off the dribble, shooting you know, trying to get to the rim rather than just purely being an outside catch-and-shoot type of player. And there was this one sidestep mid-range jumper that he hit to close out the first half of their game against Oklahoma State that I thought was very promising because, you know, with the athleticism, he's not going to be someone with an elite first step who's going to be blowing by NBA defenders. But I didn't really see enough of, you know, the step backs and sidestep jumpers that we see a lot of from the player who's next on our list. But if he can continue to get more comfortable with ball handling and with shooting off the dribble in particular, that I think really raises his upside. Because if he can make jump shots effectively off the dribble, especially from three-point range, then I think you're talking about a player with a much higher ceiling than just sort of a 3 and D archetype as someone who's mostly going to be taking catch and shoots. I 100% agree with that. And you know, we, we you, you mentioned that we saw some flashes, we saw a kind of incremental growth, but his ability to get to the his spots in the mid range, um, you know, it, it was pretty basic. It, it kind of looked like something that he's never really been asked to do or really had to do against guys who you know were at equal or higher level of his athleticism or skill set. And by and despite all that, I mean he he was still in the fifty eighth percentile shooting off the off the dribble, which per synergy is considered good uh jump shots within 17 feet he was in the 91st percentile and even though he wasn't he, he didn't do it a ton it's only 31 31 possessions on the year he ranked in the 98th percentile is in scoring as the pick and roll ball handler so once he's able to dribble off that screen and when he did that and took a dribble jumper you know, he was in the 91st percentile. So I, I know those are a lot of numbers, but whenever he's able to get a little bit of that space, he's able to manipulate the defender and create that space for himself. Not a lot, like we're going to talk about with Trey Mann, um, but enough where he's able to elevate and use his length to get that couple inches of separation where the defender really doesn't affect his shot a whole lot. So Right now, he absolutely needs to work on, you know, getting that extra six inches on the step back or, you know, leaning that extra couple inches to his right or left before releasing to because it will be more difficult against NBA defenders. But I think the basic kind of understanding of, okay, I only need this much space and I can get my shot off with these. I, I think that's there. And I think that's really encouraging for the type of scorer and shooter he could, you know, be three, four, five, six years from now. And he's pretty solid around the rim too when he gets there. But, you know, similarly with the off the dribble shooting, the issue is actually getting there. And, you know, again, I was certainly more encouraged by his tape later in the season in terms of his potential off the bounce, but he's going to need to really work on that to, you know, be someone who's considered in the same realm as the top five guys in this class as opposed to just being, you know, a very solid player. I think it's very unlikely that he's not at least a very solid player. But if you're going to take him in the top half of the lottery, you might want a little more than that. And that, I think, is really just going to depend on what his game develops like off the bounce because he's good enough as a catch-and-shoot player that defenses are going to respect him. They're going to close out hard. And, you know, if he can take two dribbles and make a good decision, you know, attacking that closeout as opposed to just, you know, passing the ball out as soon as someone starts flying at him or trying to take a quick shot, you know, that's going to be huge for his 
offensive upside, you know, beyond just sort of being a complimentary piece on that end. And and I think that's kind of where like the Mikhail Bridges comp comes in nicely because and all these guys develop at different rates. And, you know, I I was really high on Bridges coming out a lot higher than most people. And when he came out, you know, it was that okay, I, I know this dude as a baseline is going to be an awesome defender and a good spot up shooter. And you know, I, I get those same vibes from Mo- from Moody, and yet Moody is two or three years younger than Bridges when he came out. So I, I do think that Moody will eventually get there with his off-the-dribble game. You know, it's not going to be immediate. It will be a process. Not all development is linear. Um, but where I do kind of hope that he gets to – that you know jimmy butler esque demar derozan esque mid-range game not quite that same level of effective effectiveness because that's not a fair comp because those are two of the best mid-range scorers in the nba but that same physical style of knowing where they want to get to getting there using their body and using just enough space to get their shots off you mentioned DeRozan, and, and I think that's actually a very instructive comp for Moody. You know, the sort of obvious high-level thing is, well, DeMar DeRozan doesn't shoot threes, and Moses Moody is a prolific three-point shooter. But I think where that's a really helpful comparison is DeMar DeRozan came into the NBA as a scorer first, second, and third. And his footwork was incredible from the day mm-hmm. he made it to the NBA, and he just kept getting better and better and better and better in that regard. But what I think is the most encouraging in terms of the growth profile from DeMar DeRozan is he really developed his playmaking game very late in his career. You know, part of that is because Kyle Lowry made most of the plays in Toronto when they played together. But, you know, the playmaking instincts developed for DeRozan over time. And, you know, part of that, I think, was, you know, him seeing the floor versus him acting on those passes. But, you know, it's encouraging when a player who's got that great, great feel for the game like Moody has, like DeRozan has, you know, they can develop the playmaking later on in their career if they can score at a really high level like DeRozan could and like Moody could if he develops his off-the-dribble game a little bit more. Yeah, and and I, I think that's definitely something to look for in Moody's game as he continues to develop because and as I mentioned earlier he has that natural feel for the game where he sees the floor well he knows what decisions to make and you know he, he's always kind of moving the ball and doing the right things on offense so as that off the dribble scoring arsenal gets you know more diverse and more threatening and more consistent those you know passing lanes to the dunker spot or that kick out to the corner shooter or the lob to the role man, you know, th- those will start to open up a little more. So, but, but it, it all stems from improving that footwork, improving that off the dribble space creation. And as he continues to do that and just gain that consistency and confidence and reliability in that aspect of his game, I, I think it's going to open up a tremendous amount of other things in his offensive game. So sort of on a more basic summary type level, how do you view Moses Moody as a prospect? And I'll go first. So you have him at sixth on your board. I, again, am working through mine, but I have him at sixth right now, and I don't think he's going to fall below that. I think that the top five in this draft class is much stronger than the average top five in the average draft class. And I think Moody is clearly a step behind that, but I don't think of him as a low-level sixth pick at all. I think he's a really good player and a really good prospect, and I would be happy to take him at sixth overall in pretty much any draft, and I almost certainly would have taken him higher than that in last year's draft, but the top five in this class is really strong, and I don't think he ever reached the levels that they did, but if I had to pick someone outside of the presumed top five in this draft class to end up as one of the five best players in this draft, I think Moody would be very high up that list of next guys. And that's even with him having a very high floor. You know, a lot of the prospects that I think could maybe end up better than the top five guys are 
you know, roll of the dice type, very low floor, very high ceiling players. Whereas Moody, I think, has a very high floor, but also stands a better chance than pretty much anyone of outplaying the top five in this class over their NBA careers. Yeah. No, I, I don't really disagree with much of anything that you said there. Um, and I, I talked about earlier how I've been tempted at times to move Moody into that top five. And, I, you know, as I think about them currently constructed right now as prospects, as, as players, you know, I don't think Moody is, you know, I, I kind of like Moody right now, day one, better as a player than Kaminga. The difference is that what Kaminga could be and that ceiling, I think far surpasses what Moody's or what Moody's, you know, best outcome is. So that that's what edges or gives Kaminga, you know, really locks him in at that five spot. But if you're, you know, at six and you can get a, what I view as a guaranteed good starter, I, I, it's hard to ask for much more out of a draft pick because it's such a crapshoot when it comes to, you know, any professional sporting draft. And I think at worst Moody will be a very good spot up shooter and a very good team defender. If you have the development staff and he has the commitment um, to really hone in and expand and improve that ball handling, that space creation in the mid range, and then the passing out of that, then he, he, I, I think he could be a huge steal. Um, I've seen him a lot lower, even in the 20s in some places. I've heard rumors that he may not have the healthiest of knees. That kind of worries me, but, you know, that's information I'm not privy to, so I, I don't really factor it in. But if that's something that becomes, you know, more prevalent in the coming months, you know, maybe then that's something uh, to go back and relook re-examine and kind of reevaluate him but when you know every team nba team is looking for those versatile wings who can shoot from outside and defend multiple positions that's moses moody all right let's move on to the number seven player on your board who has made a meteoric rise up every draft board this year but you have been ahead of the curve in placing this guy highly draft wise you've been ahead of the curve ahead of pretty much everyone that I've seen, certainly. So you have Trey Mann at number seven overall. Mann, after a middling, let's say, freshman season, grew three or four inches and doubled his minutes, but tripled his scoring and tripled his rebounding and quintupled his assist numbers. So it wasn't just, you know, him getting a ton more playing time leading to his stats looking better. You know, he approved across the board and not just in terms of the box score stats, but also in terms of his shooting splits. He went from below 30% to above 40% from three. And he went from the 60s in terms of free throw shooting to mid 80s in terms of free throw shooting and he was solid in both of florida's tournament games despite their loss to oral roberts he certainly was not the driving factor behind that loss the thing with trey man is his step back is truly exceptional he's got a pretty good handle overall but not an elite handle i would say the step back though is elite elite and that i think is going to drive a lot of his scoring upside which you know, we're talking about Moody's ability to, you know, shoot off the dribble and create looks for himself. Trey Mann is all the way there. Uh, I, I love me some Trey Mann. I, he is... Really? I hadn't know, noticed. Oh, my God. He's the best. Oh, I love him so much. Every, every draft, we always, you know, everyone always has their guys that they ride or die for. This year, for me, it's it's Trey Mann. And He's been so much fun. Uh, I mean, as a freshman last year, he was atrocious after being a pretty promising high school recruit. Then he just kind of decided to grow five inches, uh, which turns out is really beneficial in basketball. And he was absolutely incredible this year for Florida, a Florida team that, you know, had to deal with the horrible, horrific Keontae Johnson health issues and a team and a coach that I don't think are very good. Despite all that, Trey Mann ranked in the 88th percentile, as this 
scoring out of the pick and roll as a ball handler, which he ran 41.4% of the time. He also ranked in the 90th percentile shooting off the dribble and in the 80th percentile on three-point jump shots. The dude can score. We talked about footwork earlier with Moses Moody. Trey Mann's footwork with his, you know, pull-up jumpers is incredible. I mean, he creates the most space in the country on his step back. He's really creative with his sidestep, step backs, all of it. Um, I mean, it's he's the best space creator in the country by a pretty wide margin. He has basically all of the skills that you would want in sort of a modern NBA point guard, in my mind, except for one. And I'll get into that in a moment. But, you know, the NBA has become such a pick-and-roll heavy league, and he's such a great pick-and-roll point guard, both in terms of creating for teammates and in terms of creating for himself. You know, he's got that step back down, but he's also, I think, one of the lower key parts of his game is he's a really, really good lob passer. Which, you know, he'll have athletic guys to toss lobs to in the NBA. The thing that worries me about Trey Mann is he really doesn't get to the rim at the kind of level that you would want from your lead point guard. And my concern there is, you know, given that he's already got a pretty solid handle, is just does he have the athleticism to consistently get to the rim in the NBA? And granted, he got to the rim much more effectively in the latter half of the college season, and I think he's partially also adjusting from being an undersized point guard to being a big point guard. And, you know, I think that's certainly part of it, and that's also encouraging in terms of his development in the future as a guy who can drive to the rim and score effectively. But, you know... Outside of that, he's really got an exceptionally well-fitted modern NBA point guard kind of game. Yeah, so I you hinted at it there, and I I think that's the big key that he had. You know, and he grew almost half a foot in a year, and I still think that he's kind of adjusting to you know this newfound growth because I he's listed at six five, but he's still. You know, and he's listed at only 190, and I would guess that he's probably a little closer to 180. So I, I do think that a lot of that, you know, inability to get to the rim is just him still adjusting to that massive growth spurt and not, and you know, his muscle and bulk not really catching up to it. Not saying that he's ever going to be, you know, Russell Westbrook out there, but I would expect him to put on, you know, 10 to 15 pounds over the next couple of years that won't change his explosiveness. So I get that aspect too, that he's not going to be this high flyer. He's always going to be a below the rim finisher, but I still, despite, you know, being kind of a, a thinner guy out there and he was in the 45th percentile scoring around the basket, which is considered average. And on his runners, he was in the 75th percentile and he used that a lot. I know it's not the most reliable shot and something that you want to fall back on, but having that touch on his floaters and around the rim, I think will translate really effectively to the NBA and, you know, help him as that score and help his ability to attack those NBA drop coverages. Yeah. You mentioned the runner and that being a fallback option. And I agree that, you know, that's not a shot that you should be hunting, but, you know, on the flip side, because he's not this hyper athlete, I think that's an incredibly important shot for him to have because teams are going to be running him off the three point line and, you know, him being able to hit those runners effectively in the, you know, 10 to 20 foot range means that even if he can't get all the way to the rim, he's still a scoring threat once you drive him off the three point line, as opposed to just sort of being useless once he's been forced off the line and forced to try and create something inside the arc. Yeah. And, and we, we've seen that a lot with Halliburton's game this year too, where big knock on him coming out was that he couldn't score off the dribble and he's kind of, and he's been able to be really effective with that floater. So it's not, you know, it shouldn't be any players go to, but it's a really important tool in the tool belt. Yes, I have certainly seen quite a lot of that from Halley <laughs> this season. But, you know, having that tool in the tool belt, I think, is 
more important for someone like Trey Mann than it is for someone like Jalen Suggs. And Suggs has that in his bag as well. You know, he's got a great floater, but he's also someone who can get to the rim with a lot more burst than Mann. And so I don't think he needs that shot as much. Whereas with Mann, you know, that's going to be huge for him to be able to at least use that sometimes, you know, as opposed to just sort of not having that at all and being lost once he's forced out of his comfort zone. Yeah, and to kind of further expand on that, and you mentioned earlier about his ability to throw lobs, and you know, I, I think that goes hand in hand with his floater because he has that excellent touch on it. And you know, drop coverage is kind of becoming more and more the norm in the NBA. And and when Trey Mann passed to uh, the roll man on the pick and roll, he was in the 86th percentile and then the 85th percentile kicking out to spot up shooters. So combining that passing ability out of the pick and roll with his ability to shoot off the dribble and that floater, and he it's it could be a real nightmare for defenses to try and contain him and deal with him because he can punish them in so many different ways. Let's talk about ceiling floor quickly. And in comparison to Moody, I think that Trey Mann probably has a higher ceiling just because he's going to have the ball in his hands more often if he manages to hit his peak. I also think he has a much lower floor. I mean, his shooting mechanics have definitely developed and, you know, they look better. And I don't want to say that he hasn't improved, but we're also one year removed from him shooting less than 30% from three and Mm -hmm. less than 70% from the line. And if his shooting as a skill is somewhere between his freshman year and his sophomore year, like not even if it, is at his freshman year level, even if it's somewhere in between those two, that I think makes a huge difference for him going forward. And, you know, I think he's probably going to be a 35, 36% three point shooter, at least his first couple years in the league. But, you know, that's a far cry from where he was his freshman year. And I think as long as he's at that average to slightly above average level, given the kind of three point volume that he's going to get, I think that's going to be good enough. And then his ceiling is really going to be, you know, can he actually consistently be a 40% three-point shooter on the kinds of more difficult self-created three-point shots that he's going to be taking? Yeah, so I I, I fully buy into the shooting improvements. I'm not saying he's going to be a 45% three-point shooter or anything, but I, I also think that what he did in his freshman year is almost just not relevant anymore because and and the main reason I buy the shooting improvement so much is that the variety of ways that he was doing it he's effective off the catch off the dribble off the step back sidesteps you know pull-ups any anywhere and he improved across the board on a tremendous spike in usage so I I fully buy that he is going to be a really 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 good NBA score. Um, you know, when, when you talk about ceiling, I, I kind of think Jamal Murray, I think he could be that type of player, you know, now that's, that's ceiling, that's best outcome, worst outcome. I think he's, you know, sixth, seventh man in a rotation and used as almost exclusively as a scoring guard. Well, he certainly has the skills to be an effective scoring guard, even if the rest of his game doesn't come along, but I just want to do a quick sort of summary of how we view him as a prospect overall. Obviously, you're quite high on him. I am not as high on him as you are, but I still think he would be a solid lottery choice, especially for the kinds of teams that are going to be looking at him, namely teams that, you know, don't have a lead guard. Otherwise, why would you be drafting him here? Although, you know, who knows, maybe if he falls and you're a team that believes in his skill set, you would just take him anyway. But I think he's a solid lottery choice. And I think that there is one other point guard that I might have ahead of him, namely Davion Mitchell. I'm not sure right now, but I think I would probably go with Mitchell ahead of Trey Mann. But that scoring and that shot creation is very real. And I would have trouble putting Trey Mann lower than like 15th on any board just because he'll be able to create 
shots that are not only effective shots, but, you know, the kinds of shots that teams are hunting at the NBA level. And the, that's fair. And to, to be clear to everyone listening, I am substantially higher on Trey Mann than almost anyone else out there. Um, I, I just, I buy every improvement that he made this season and that what the NBA requires from their lead point guards now is exactly what Trey Mann brings to the table. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people have harped on his defense and considered him a really bad defender. I view him in a little better light. I don't think he's a good defender necessarily, but I think a lot of his defensive inefficiencies stemmed from that lack of muscle and that still adapting to his his growth spurt so I, I think once he gets a little stronger I think his general instincts are good with his positioning um he can't fight through screens or anything at all so you know if if I'm a team like Orlando or who else do I have or like New Orleans in the lottery I would absolutely absolutely jump at the chance to take Trey Mann Oh man, Trey Mann in New Orleans with Brandon Ingram would probably lead the league and step back mid-range jumpers, and I think I might be okay with that, actually. Every possession, it's mandatory. All right, let's move on to the number eight prospect on your board, Kai Jones out of Texas, who is a ridiculous athlete who will be an immediate lob threat in the NBA. He's got really good timing on his shot blocking and pretty good instincts sort of in terms of rim protection more generally, as well as, you know, spiking shots into the fourth row. He also has a much better handle than most big men and tends to use it too. You know, he's not just someone who's going to take one dribble and go right into a post-up move. You know, he actually is comfortable handling the ball and driving all the way to the rim He's got exceptional hands. He runs the floor like a guard in transition. And he's also making and taking three-point jump shots, although we'll get into this in a minute. I'm not sure how confident I am in his jump shot, but the fact that he has it at all and is taking them at a decent clip is, I think, a very encouraging sign. I think Kai Jones may have the largest variance in ceiling and floor in this draft, where if he ends up as one of the best players in this draft and just like a franchise changer because of his freak athleticism and two-way ability, I wouldn't be surprised. If he doesn't make it to a second or third contract, I guess I also wouldn't be surprised, which probably isn't exactly what people want in their lottery pick. But I think that ceiling of what he could be is so tantalizing. And when you see someone with that freak athleticism and a two-way ability, it's so hard, so hard to let him fall, you know, out of the lottery. So with how good he potentially could be, it's it's kind of like the Kaminga effect, but a little less because, you know, there, there are different levels currently where if everything hits or if, you know, 80% of what he needs to get, if he reaches 80% of his ceiling, that is an incredible basketball player. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is we sort of talked about this briefly when discussing Evan Mobley, but the replacement value at center is very, very high right now in the NBA, but The flip side of that is that the reason for that is that there are a whole lot of seven-footers who are decently athletic, who can run the floor, catch lobs, and block shots. And Kai Jones has that part of the skill set down, which makes me a little more comfortable, I think, than you in terms of his staying power, because I think that just purely as a defensive big man, he will be able to stick around for at least a second contract. But the upside there is almost entirely in his handle and his jump shot. And his handle, again, I am very comfortable with that, especially given his size and position. I think he's pretty good at, you know, attacking closeouts and at getting to the rim on his own. 
And that, I think, will be a huge driver of his offense in the NBA. But a lot of the reason why he's sort of viewed as a lottery talent is because of his jump shot. And the thing with his jump shot is, you know, he's making and taking three-pointers, which is good in terms of, you know, future indication of his success. But his base for his jumper is very inconsistent. His legs are flailing a lot of the time when he's taking those shots. He's, you know, got his feet set in different positions almost every time he rises up to take the shot. And he tries off the jumper dribbles. And, you know, it's not like he's never made them, but that poor form on catch and shoots and standstill jumpers is even more concerning when you talk about him taking shots off the dribble. And that I don't think bodes particularly well for his shooting the first couple years in the league. He's got the touch, which I think is the biggest part of it, but he really does need to get more consistent with his jump shot mechanics. Yeah, I'm definitely higher on his shot than you are. Um, I, you, you touched on his jumper off the dribble and that is ugly. Uh, you said that he's, you know, not, he's almost never made it literally he's only scored six points shooting off the dribble uh which ranked in the sixth percentile this season not great so, not great Bob. no no um but inversely he is in the 70th percentile shooting off the catch so i i think his upper body mechanics are a little more sound than you do um I, I absolutely agree with the touch. And I think that was that lower body, that footwork, I think that's a little more correctable than having a guy kind of realter his elbow alignment and release point and that kind of stuff. So I, I have more faith that he can be a quality catch and shoot guy. And he doesn't need to be elite. All he has to do is make the defense think about having to close out on him. Because once he does that, then he can use that freak athleticism to blow past them and attack the rim. And that value in and of itself is extraordinary. And, you know, we don't see guys his size be able to attack closeouts like he does. Um, you're a little higher on the ball handling than I am. I, I still think he has a bit of a high dribble, but for what he needs to do with it, it's perfectly fine. Where, you know, given his shooting off the dribble, he's not going to be asked, you know, to break that, break guys down or score in isolation or anything like that but to attack in the open floor in transition or attack a closeout um it's it's perfectly adequate so you know I, I i do think that shot will come around where top of the arc or corner threes he'll be more than fine yeah and to be clear it's not that i don't believe in his jumper it's just i don't think i have as much confidence in it as you do and you know also more to the point you know you mentioned that his flaws are a little bit more correctable than say a wonky release or you know elbow flares or any of those sorts of problems you know i think there is a mechanical problem but as you mentioned he is knocking down catch and shoots in the 70th percentile so you know it's effective and jump shots don't always have to be the prettiest thing in the world as long as they're effective. And certainly when you're his size, you know, just being able to take those shots at a decently effective rate is huge in comparison to a lot of NBA centers who don't even try shooting outside of seven feet, much less, you know, taking three pointers. So I think his jumper is good enough to be effective in his first couple years in the league, but I would hope that he works on those lower body mechanics during his first couple seasons because, you know, I think that the ceiling with the jumper is a little bit higher if he can make those corrections. But again, as you said, it doesn't need to be exceptional. It just needs to be good enough to unlock the rest of his game. And I think he's pretty much at that point already. It's just, you know, what the upside is with that jump shot. Yeah, this is this is the third guy in a row where we're talking about footwork, and I absolutely love it because I lo I love watching how guys move their feet on offense and defense because everything starts from there. Um, and if he can get that solid base and that consistent base and that you know release um, on his takeoff, I mean, that that will make his outside shooting so much more consistent. But it will also really expand what he can do off the dribble. I'm not I'm not expecting him to ever be, you know, this guy who's taking mid-range pull-ups and breaking guys down, 
but if he can take those, you know, two, three dribble mid-range pull-ups after attacking a closeout, that's going to be just super important. So, you know, I, I believe that he'll get that base there. I think it's a little more coachable than, you know, like we said, with the upper body stuff. And given how incredible his defensive footwork is, I have to imagine that, you know, that'll translate somewhat to the offensive end. So you mentioned the defensive footwork, and you also talked earlier about his ceiling and floor. So I wanted to sort of circle back to that quickly. Again, I think the floor for him is a little bit higher than I think what you think of as his floor, just because I think he'll be effective enough on the defensive end to at least stick around. But, you know, if you're talking about drafting a center in the lottery, I think the baseline is that you have to expect that they will be able to be your primary rim protector or so good at everything on the offensive end that they don't need to be the primary rim protector, a la Nikola Jokic, who's also better on the defensive end than I think people give him credit for. But I wouldn't want to take a center in the lottery if I didn't think they could make an all-defensive team or two during their NBA career. And I think Kai Jones is clearly there with his defensive instincts and with his rim protection. And he's the kind of athlete where, you know, yes, he's probably going to be mostly in drop because most NBA teams run a majority of drop defense, but he's quick enough that you could also have him switch out onto perimeter guys sometimes. And, you know, he doesn't need to be on the perimeter all the time, but, you know, the indicative big man, I think, for that for me is Nick Claxton where, you know, he's good enough as a switch guy that you can throw him on. I saw him guard deer and Fox for a possession and, you know, just being able to throw a guy that size on a point guard for any part of a possession is huge when you're talking about a switching scheme. So I think with Kai Jones, you know, he's got the potential to be a really huge defensive piece in pretty much any kind of scheme as opposed to being more limited as basically just a drop guy. And I think that's also huge when you're talking about his potential. And he he's one of the few guys that I would feel comfortable, you know, switching everything with. And, you know, I, we've talked about before. I'm, I'm really, really hesitant to take centers early unless they have those flashes or foundation where they could be the elite at something. And, you know, I, I don't have another center on my on my board until 30. And I, I really think that Kai Jones has a chance to be really special. He's one of those rare centers where when he switches on the perimeter or gets dragged out to the perimeter, he gets low in a defensive stance. Big men don't do that. They never do that. They bend at the waist and make it look like they're in a stance and their knees are always locked. He gets in the stance bends his knees, moves his feet well. He doesn't cross them. He's always on balance. It's really, really, really impressive stuff that we don't see from guys his size. So and I, I see, you know, I think best case scenario, he could be like a Serge Ibaka type player. And I think, you know, we, we've seen Chris Boucher in Toronto be kind of a similar mold of player and really excel. I'm not sure he'll quite hit that shooting ceiling, but that type of rim protector, that almost three and D center mold. And I, I really, really like Kai Jones. And I've seen some places have him in the twenties. Uh, I, I definitely think that he has top, top 10 talent though. I certainly will not be leaving him out of my top 10 whenever I finish my big board. I think the thing with Kai Jones is his skill set is such that he could fit with so many different players. It's yep. not, you know, you don't have to scheme around him on either end of the floor, right? Like if you are running a drop system, he's a great rim protector. If you're running a switching system, he's certainly more than athletic enough to switch out on the guys. If you want to have him basically just be a lob threat and rim runner, he's really, really, really good at that. And if you want to have him take trail threes or corner threes as well, he could do that as well. And that I think bodes really well for his ceiling because since he has at least a decent baseline at so many different skills, 
you know, he could really just sort of develop into whatever area is most needed for his particular team and, you know, in turn work on the skills that make him the most effective in whatever role he ends up in. I, I totally agree. And he's, we, we frequently talk about guys fits with teams and how it works. And usually when we talk about that, it's focused on the offense because, you know, that, that's a little easier to judge and read and evaluate. But I, I, I think that point about Kai Jones being almost immune of defensive fit is, is really important because I, I think he can and will fit into basically whatever defensive scheme you want to run. All right. So before we wrap up here, I just wanted to run through a few quick comparisons. So first of all, how do we think this next three stacks up against the top five in this draft? And I probably won't have this exact six, seven, eight, but I certainly think of all three of these guys as clear lottery talents and with Moody and Kai Jones, probably more like top half of the lottery than bottom half of the lottery. But the top five, as I sort of mentioned earlier briefly, is overall viewed as much better than usual in this particular draft. I think this six, seven, eight run is, you know, a step below that top five, but certainly no worse than average in terms of a six, seven, eight run in a usual draft. I mean, six, seven, eight guys, you know, Usually, if you look at past draft history, the average of a six, seven, eight guy is like a role player type. And with Jones and Mann in particular, I think there's a much, much higher ceiling than that. But also with all three of these guys, I think that they have at least one or two elite level skills that make it hard for me to see them busting out of the NBA entirely. And you usually do get a bust or two out of that six, seven, eight group in a normal draft. If this is the six, seven, eight in this draft, I think I would feel more comfortable than I usually would about all of them, at least being solid NBA players. I think Jones is the X factor there, but I think I'm much higher on his NBA floor than you are. Well, okay. So to go back to Jones's floor real quick, I, I guess to say that I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't make a second contract or something is overstating it. I, you know, I think that's, you know, absolute, absolute, absolute worst case scenario. And I, I think, you know, part of that is just the rap that Texas big men have gotten for just being athletes, not ball players. And I, I do think Kai Jones, while he is a freak athlete, I think he's much more of a basketball player than we've seen from, you know, recent freak athletic Texas big men. First of all, as a Jared Allen stan, how dare you? But second of all, continue. (laughs) That that, that wasn't meant so much as Jared Allen slander as more Jackson Hayes and Mo Bamba slander. Um, (laughs) In regards to the top five, I I think there is a a healthy gap between the top top five's ceiling of what they could be. Because I think the the ceiling for almost everyone in that top five is all NBA level. And I don't see any of these guys getting there. Um, and I, it wouldn't shock me if Kai Jones made an all NBA defensive team at some point, but to make that, you know, to be a top 15 player in the league, I would be really surprised. So that's where, that's what really separates that top five from these, you know, next cluster of guys. However, I think that the likelihood of them being good starters is pretty similar where you, you can't touch on it, but it, it would really surprise me if Moody, Man, Jones, if they didn't have just good NBA careers. And having a good NBA career does not mean that you're an all-star. Few people get to be all-stars. Having a good NBA career is, you know, making making it to your third and fourth contracts and being a consistent contributor to an NBA team. And I would be really surprised if all three of these guys didn't hit that threshold. All right. Anything else you want to talk about today before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I if you, if you haven't seen tape on any of these three guys, I, I highly recommend it. They're three of the most fun guys to watch in this draft. They're really skilled. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we covered them pretty thoroughly. 
this certainly is a group and men and Jones in particular, where watching their highlight tape is just so, so much fun because <laughs> they're, they're just making crazy plays that are, and Moody too, to an extent, but I don't think the highlight really pops off the screen as much as it does for Kai Jones and Trey Mann. Yeah, M- Moody's is just much more natural and kind of subdued. It's incredibly effective. But when you see Trey Mann take a, a six-foot step back three-pointer, it's jaw-dropping. All right, so before I wrap up here, why don't you go ahead and give us some plugs? Uh, hashtag basketball power rankings. Go check them out. Uh, draft guide top 75 at hashtag basketball.com. Go read it. A lot of words. Go read it. Uh, I also just had a Timberwolves piece drop on Canis Hoopus on the on what their big three of Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and D'Angelo Russell, how they're looking and how good that offense could potentially be. I'll have something this week coming out on there as well with Anthony Edwards' defense and how it has been less than ideal. Um, and then on hashtag basketball should have Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley end up scouting reports coming soon. Once we figure out the video hosting stuff for the website. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him at all of the places he just mentioned, hashtag basketball, Canis Hoopas, as well as on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find my work on hashtag basketball as well, particularly with the power rankings winding down as the NBA season winds down, but definitely be sure to check out the last few iterations of that. If you have been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, you can feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 